welcome to the Bike Pack Canada podcast with yours truly, Ryan Corey. I'm chatting this morning with uh, Miles Arbor of, uh, well, new new resident of uh, Kelowna, British Columbia. Uh, Miles' name uh, has been popping up all over the place uh, on our forum for one, which has been great to see uh, in a blog um, a few months ago uh, in regards to his uh, screaming beaver bags, uh, which he was making back in Ontario. And a few published routes on uh, bikepacking.com. Uh, so we're going to get into all those things today. And uh, welcome, Miles. Thanks for having me, Ryan. Cool. So, uh, yeah, maybe let's just start with uh, bikepacking.com. Uh, how, uh, how did that connection come about or motivation? And, and maybe tell us about the, the routes that you've got on the go. Mm-hmm. So... I guess I was only first introduced to bikepacking about two years ago, um, and then I was just kind of like looking for inspiration online, and that was kind of like one of the first websites that popped up. Um, immediately after seeing just some of the routes on there, I was noticing that nothing was in um, Ontario, and there's just a few routes in Canada, so I pretty much wanted to change that, um, and that kind of ended up, I guess before that happened, it inspired me to try to ride the Cocapelli Trail, which um, I did as part of a college program, which was like a whole nother story in itself. So we can talk about that again later if you want. Um, but I rode the Cocapelli Trail. I was pretty much hooked on bikepacking after that. Uh, so in Ontario, I started looking for potential in the area. I came across the, well, I guess traces of the Central Ontario Loop Trail or the Colt, which was like a Ontario tourism initiative that was never really carried out. I just found old glimpses of maps online just showed like Ontario cities and a red line doing a big loop throughout central Ontario. Um, and then using all the programs online that we have, I, I plotted it all together. Um, long story short, I couldn't find anyone to ride it with me. <laughs> so I did it solo. And that was kind of like my first contribution to bikepacking.com. And uh, that's kind of a how I got into the scene, I think my my biggest accomplishment so far, I believe. So it was uh, when when you got involved uh, with with getting some stuff done for them. Uh, so that's Logan uh, that runs that site. Did uh, were there any particular standards that he wanted you to meet as far as pictures or files? You know, just thinking ahead to if someone else wanted to contribute to, to what they got going on. Yeah, there definitely is, and I think Logan's doing a good job of keeping the standards really high. Um, cause it's doing, that's doing a good thing for all the bikepacking websites online, including Bikepack Canada. Um, so it's good to see that he has like pretty much a whole document of like explaining what you have to do. And pretty much if you're not meeting those, um, standards, there's probably going to be a chance that you won't be able to get it online right away. And I was, to be honest, I was a little bit afraid of that cause this would be my first, my first chance, and I only just started writing as well these kind of articles um, within the last year. So I was nervous, to be honest, <laughs> and especially like I'm the new kid on the block. Just uh, going back to your last guest, Greg, he's been doing this his entire life, and I'm a 24-year-old young adult who just started doing it in the past two years. So, um, yeah, I ended up investing in a, in a solid mirrorless camera, like a smaller camera that I could pack on my bike. Um, taught myself as much as I could before I went and then pretty much made, had a checklist with me the entire way to make sure I was getting the right kind of photos, which kind of include um, 
as much of like riding and trail photos as well as like culture and food, which is like pretty important in bikepacking, I think. Um, and then just having the right data afterwards, which is you can pretty much get all of that from thinking back on the trip and writing everything down uh, and also just using GPS files. So you're making sure you have all the right actual route data. Cool. Well, I, I actually just got off a call with uh, Cameron Dubé, who uh, <laughs> I didn't realize at the time, but uh, is an instructor at Algonquin College. And uh, I can only assume was one of your instructors at one point. <laughs> Yeah, so it's pretty funny. So this last summer, he was actually my boss. <laughs> I was working for um, the Beachburg Off-Road Cycling Association, and that's based out of the Ottawa Valley in Ontario. Um, and they're they're making some really solid mountain bike trails in that area and doing a lot for just mountain biking in the area as well. Um, so I was actually building trails for him out there. And <laughs> and because he was he's so into bikepacking as well, he's pretty much one of the first guys to introduce me to it. Um, he, he let me have a pretty flexible schedule, which allowed me to do these kind of, uh, these trips during the summer as well. So the best summer I could have asked for. So you, at the time you were living in, uh, Pembroke then or somewhere nearby? I was actually living four hours away, closer to, I guess, the west side of the central Ontario loop trail, um, north of Barrie, Ontario. Um, and I would commute up to the Ottawa Valley every two weeks or so build trails hard for five days and then, uh, earn my time to go bike on my free time. And I was making bags at that time too. So I had my plate full. That's for sure. Gotcha. So that, where, where did, uh, where the, where did the incarnation of, uh, screaming beaver come from? <laughs> um, yeah, so I guess it was, it was soon after being introduced to bike packing and just looking at the gear and like, as everyone well knows, um, like the gear is expensive <laughs> just to get some bags, which look like pretty simple, to be honest. Like they're just bags that usually Velcro or strap onto your bike. Um, and I wasn't at a point where I wanted to fork out a couple hundred dollars for those kind of things. So um, I got my mom to teach me how to sew in the basement one night. And I, I stayed up all night trying to make my first frame bag. And it, and it worked very well. Like it came together very quickly. Um sewing I, I don't know I haven't never sewed before but it caught on and I was I was pretty hooked to be honest um so then I thought of the idea of potentially selling these things to people I know I knew I had like some good all my instructors in the Algonquin College program would pre be good like product testers because some of them had bags already and they were using like testing for Apigura and Revelate to begin with and then I had other instructors that had never had any frame bags before. So I figured they'd be good guys to talk to. Um, so then I had to figure out a Canadian sounding name, but with it, like <laughs> I was trying to think of something a little bit more, I don't know, a little bit less serious than all the Revelate designs and Apigura names. Um, <laughs> just something a little bit funny. Cause to be honest, it was just me in a basement sewing, which I guess is how most of them started. Um, so yeah, I came up with screaming beaver bike bags and, uh, yeah, it worked well for, so I pretty much did it, I guess you could say part-time for four months. Um, and it was catching on pretty quickly. I came in like right at the right time where no one in Ontario was doing it. Um, I had some like solid people kind of testing them out in the Ottawa Valley as well as myself. And they were, they were working, they weren't falling apart. And <laughs> that was one of my worries when I first started. And, uh, and then I had people all over Canada emailing me about them and like a few people from the States just because 
my turnaround time was so much quicker because I wasn't as busy or like kind of a name brand as the other ones. Um, so I could make a bag pretty much in a day and a half and have it shipped out within three days. Um, and it was all completely custom too. So like I would have instructions online and how someone would send me a template for their main triangle. Uh, and then I'd get that in the mail and make pretty much a bag completely based on that. So it was a perfect fit every time. And, uh, yeah, it was super fun. I pretty much tried to immerse myself into bike packing as much as possible. And, um, making bags was the obvious step, I guess. <laughs> so I'm curious, like I'm kind of in the same boat. Like there's part of me that is, is curious to get into bags and people have asked if, you know, bike pack Canada will start offering bags. Um, I think that's why I've been drawn to your story a little bit. Um, so you, you get into this, you, you get a bunch of people asking, um, if you can do custom stuff. Um, I, I just start thinking about the different kinds of costs that start adding up. Like you, you have a sewing machine that's pretty basic, but did you have people or, or did you have the option for, you know, different types of materials? Did you have to stock that or was it always just one material? Yeah. So that was like, that's what, that's a good question because that's what I was thinking of when I was starting it. Like at, at the beginning, I just bought some kind of random stuff and found a fabric land, made a bag. And actually that bag made it through the Cocapelli Trail. So <laughs> I was doing something right from the beginning. Um, but then I started like looking at where I could source stuff from. Like it started, I was kind of taking it more serious. Um, so like the X-Pack fabric that a lot of um, the Revelate stuff and Apigura is made out of, that's all sourced from the United States. So I was having great difficulty trying to find that. Um, for a good price. I ended up, I do have some actually, um, back in Ontario still, but it was just, it was going to be way too expensive to grab. So I was, I was looking all over the place and I ended up going to a, um, it was a business that sold fabrics for like boat tops. Um, so they had a lot of like Cordura and, um, and Sunbrella, um, fabrics, which are just pretty much like weather resistant and sun resistant, fabrics that are pretty burly and they sold Velcro in all the different widths and in bulk quantities. Um, and that was just right out of Barry. So it was a half an hour drive from my house and I could go pick up all the fabric I needed. Um, including like really heavy, like a thousand D Cordura, which is kind of like more used in the reinforcement areas on more modern bags that are being built now, um, just to keep weight down. But I was just making the whole bag out of it because I figured if it worked for reinforcement areas, it would probably work for the entire bag. Um, yeah, so I ended up just ordering a bunch of Cordura, and Velcro is pretty much the two main things that you need a lot of, and uh, zippers, and I wasn't using, I actually decided not to use waterproof zippers, just because I found on gear in the past that waterproof zippers, like the actual waterproofing part of things, always end up just kind of wearing out, um, and then just, they just become a sloppy zipper. So it's just using, uh, Vizlon zippers, which are like those heavy nylon YKK zippers. And, uh, and those were kind of like the three main components for the bags and I could get them out of steel. So, um, because I'm not doing it anymore, I can <laughs> share some secrets, but I was probably, I was probably making a bag for, I don't know, around $14 and I, you could sell them anywhere from 150 to $200, depending on, depending on what it was. Yeah. Well, obviously that's not taking in, into account your time either, but, mm -hmm. 
So what I'm, you know, as I've been delving more into the bag side of things and I've been buying them for a bunch of years from Revelate and, um, you know, Porcelain Rocket, so Scott Felter in uh, Calgary. And one of the things that I've been finding that's interesting is that all these businesses seem to be, you know, maxed out as far as uh, just trying to keep up with the demand, uh, which is really interesting. And one of the shifts um, you know, I've been seeing with, especially with the individual bag makers, um, is getting away from the custom, uh, custom bags. Um, because really when you think about it, you know, one custom bag might be like 20 emails back and forth with one person just to, you know, make sure it's right in the right dimensions versus, uh, standard bags, which is, you know, it's all one size, it's all one material. And you can, you know, in theory, you could put those on a production line and, and crank them out a bit quicker. So I, I know you you got away from it, but I'm curious did did you come to any of the same realizations as far as the the custom work maybe being you know not not the best use of your time, or maybe that's that's the niche you wanted to fill? Yeah, no, that's a that's a very good point. Um, yeah, and it's, it's hard to find a custom bag, and, it, and in Canada for sure, like it's pretty much. I don't. I don't think anyone really does it right now. I know Scott has definitely turned away from that. Um, you can. I think you can get in contact with him potentially, and with maybe if you gave him the, the right kind of beer or coffee, he might. Uh, he might make one for you. But um, yeah, that, I think that was kind of like the niche that I wanted to fill um, when I was first like talking about it with everyone. It was we were kind of like, okay, well, I, I need to make some standard size bags that aren't custom just so they're cheaper and people can order them. Um, and I had those actually on my website and I had them made up, like ready to ship out. I had like a small batch of them, but nobody wanted them. Um, <laughs> like, I don't think I, anyone ordered a like a pre-made bag because the people that were somehow found me on the Internet were already looking for a custom bag. And pretty much I could guarantee a custom bag would fit their bike, but the standard bag frames that like they fit okay. Um, but they definitely weren't the same, uh, the same level for sure. So yeah, I think that custom bag niche is always going to be something that can be filled and still can. Cause I don't think, yeah, like I said, no one's doing it in Canada. Um, so it was a pretty quick decision and that's where all my business came from was the custom bag front. And, and it did take more time. It took like a lot more time, a lot of emails back and forth. And people would ask for things because I was just starting. People would ask for things like hydration ports and stuff that I was like, oh, like, yeah, I know <laughs> I know those exist, but I'm going to have to figure out how to make that. Um, then that would involve like new fabrics um, and like trying to find people to show me like other sewing techniques because <laughs> I was learning every time. Like there's no, no none of the bags that I made are going to look the same. Um and if you turned them inside out, it'd be pretty funny to see like um, just like the changes. Like I know some of the first bags I made, I would accidentally sew through half the bag completely and it would just be completely ruined. I'd have to throw it out and start again. Um, but that was part of the fun in it for me, at least. And I think probably for a lot of bag makers out there that are doing like the DIY route is that it's like so much fun to sew a bag inside out and then turn it right side out and you have a frame bag that works and it didn't like it took some of your time, but and it works too. It's just I don't know. There's no better feeling in my opinion. Hmm. So the I guess the next like the million dollar question here is: so you have you have a niche group, you have the demand, you have 
you know, the relative knowledge, um, you have a high margin item and, you know, if once you, once you kind of get into a rhythm, um, you know, what happened? Uh, why'd you move away from it? Um, well, I guess the big reason was it was, well, during the summer it was good. Like business was picking up for sure. And I saw like a lot of, like, I was getting emails from all over the place and then it, it kind of turned into fall. Um, it, backed off a little bit and I was like okay no problem and then my girlfriend and I decided to move out to Kelowna um, and I was trying to think of how I could continue doing it here um, but I'm I'm, a st- I'm just like I'm not a student anymore and I've been a student for the past six years of my life uh, so this is the first like fall where I haven't been in classes and now student debt is kind of creeping up on me as well so it was it was Honestly, it was more like a financial choice to like not do it. It's there's so much like there's there's a lot of complexity in running that kind of little business and actually making money from it, um, and especially moving to a new place with rent and stuff now and we're in BC. Um, it was just it was easier to go find like kind of a nine to five job and make sure that I can pay the bills and then worry about making bike bags later. But yeah, there. I did. I walked away from something for sure. Like I think, um, think someone with a, a little bit more, maybe I don't even know, like desire, maybe would have been a little bit more keen to follow it through. Um, but I'm happy that I did it for sure. And uh, I guess I can, <laughs> I can sell Screaming Beaver bike bags to anyone who wants to take it over right now. <laughs> well, I. I'll put you on the spot. It's it's something that I'm I'm still still intrigued by. I think, um, you know, my my desire isn't so much to get involved in the the, the making of it, um, but the distribution and marketing of it. Like that's that's more where my expertise lies. So I, I would throw out the challenge, Miles. Uh, if you ever wanted to get back into it and and do you know like a, a bike pack Canada uh, branded bag, uh, you, you've got a pipeline and you've got an interested uh, supporter. No, I appreciate that, Ryan. Um, and there's been a lot of people like just moving out here to Kelowna, um, where bike packing maybe isn't as well known for like some of the locals, but there's still some diehards out here and just the people I work with. Um, and they're all like, people are asking for bags and people have been offering their, their basements and stuff, uh, for me to set up shop. So there, there's still a potential, I think. Okay, cool. Well, I'm glad to hear that it's not uh, dead in the water per se, because we, you know, other than my interest, we did have some people asking on the Facebook group and, you know, they'd been reading uh, the blog that we put out and they're like, what happened to Screaming Beaver? And uh, I I said, I'm going to go find out from the guy himself. So Uh, yeah, we'll keep that conversation going for sure. But Mm -hmm. uh, for now, I, I, I think I have a pretty good idea, but what, you know, what, what was the transition to Kelowna? What was uh, the reason behind that for moving out from Ontario? Yeah. So we visited Kelowna last summer, um, just for, just for a couple of days, actually during the summer. Um, my grandparents live here and they've been here for most of their lives. So I visited a few times before that as well. Um, and partly it was because like we were both done school uh, back in Ontario and uh, we wanted to change a pace and something that kind of reminded us of home. But and the climate here is just fantastic. Um, climate and the possibilities for bike packing is huge. I kind of was throwing myself right in the center of um, like the Kettle Valley Rail Trail is a huge draw that just kind of runs right through here. There's like 600 kilometers of uh, bike packing potential in itself. 
Um, and then we have all those kind of tour divide style rides around here, like the BC Epic 1000 runs partly on the KVR, which is literally like 15 minute bike ride from my apartment. And I can be on that trail out in the middle of nowhere. Um, and just the, yeah, bike packing potential mixed with like sweet climate and the potential for work is, uh, <laughs> it was a pretty easy choice to be honest. And we're pretty happy with it so far. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't have anything negative to say about Kelowna. <laughs> Awesome. And, and you said you, you just started up uh, at Mountain Equipment Co-op? Yeah, so I, I grabbed a job at Mountain Equipment Co-op. Um, I was looking for something pretty like low stress, something that I wasn't going to have to take home with me at first because I really wanted to enjoy my time here. And that's going to pretty much take me through the winter. And then come springtime, I don't really know. Uh, like I might just continue working with Mountain Equipment Co-op, probably part-time. But I hope to get into some of the, the mountain bike guiding scene, maybe even the wine tours around here, because that's uh, that's huge in the summer, which would be fun to uh, fun to break into. But I'm I'm really hoping I'm just doing some of the longer kind of uh, underground bike pack races around here. And, but then spinning it from a reporting side of things, because uh, that's something an idea I've had recently that's not really been happening as well as it should be in the area. When when you say reporting, do you mean like uh, like with the, of the written word or like what uh, MTB Cast was doing with Collins or like what are you thinking in that regard? Um, I'm just thinking. So a lot of these tour divide style rides, you hear a lot about the ride themselves, but not so much about the riders, especially like the mix of riders. Like I know there's a lot of people that are out there that want to win, and we hear we hear about them usually. There's also like the group of riders that are in the middle of the pack that are still like dedicated cyclists and bike packers um, that aren't necessarily looking to place any records. Um, and I think those in stories are just as interesting as the people that win. And I think it would be neat. Um, this is a very fresh idea um, to kind of ride with the middle, middle of the pack with those kinds of riders and just do a whole report on the race from their standpoint. So I think there's a lot to be learned uh, both from them and the route and then just documenting it um, with words and also photos pretty much be the best way to bring some exposure to these rides um, and the routes, especially in BC, because I just know there's, there's a few here, like right in the area, like kind of Canmore to Kelowna area in the middle. And uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens with that. Okay. Well, uh, again, open invitation. If, if you want to do more blogs, uh, you know, we have that pipeline too. And uh, yeah, I, I, I'd agree. I, I you know, having placed, uh, you know, pretty well at some of these events, I, I can attest to the fact that really no one cares. Um, <laughs> it, well, I shouldn't say that they care as much as, um, like you said, the, the middle of the pack and, um, really the, the people at the back and, um, you know, my own interests, I, I would say I'm just as interested to hear, um, of the person that took twice as long and what their experience was like. So, um, yeah, I think you, 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 you're onto something there for sure. Cool. So with, uh, going back to mountain equipment co-op, uh, mm -hmm. I, I'm curious, uh, you know, from the, the, the business side of things, have, have you noticed, um, you know, the, the short time you've been there in Kelowna, have you noticed them, um, like is, is bikepacking a term that is on their consciousness? Um, a little bit. So yeah, that's like, that's like a huge thing that I'm pushing right now at the store, actually. But pretty much as soon as I got here, like I started mentioning to people, um, a lot of the staff haven't heard the term before, for sure. Um, but we sell 
like even on the website, if you search like activities and categories, bike packing is one of the categories now, which is a pretty new addition to the website. And under there are kind of some some products that loosely um, <laughs> loosely are related to bike packing. We we do sell Mountain and Co-op does sell porcelain rocket stuff now though. Yeah, which I, is, I just heard about that. I, I thought someone goofed when they told me, and uh, <laughs> they told me, and uh, so okay, so it's validated. It's a hundred percent. Yeah, it's hundred um, percent. Yeah, which is huge, I think, for Mountain Equipment Co-op and um, Scott for sure, and like bike packing as an industry in itself, because that's kind of putting bike packing and like even just the terminology into the hands of people that don't know about it, which I think <laughs> is the majority of people. Um, but yeah, it kind of what really struck me was that Mountain Equipment Co-op is kind of selling some of these products and selling some bikes. So intense is like kind of like the new higher end mountain bike that we're brand that we're selling right now. And I think they have the intense ACV, which is targeted more as like a plus size bike packing rig. And, uh, and we're not talking about bike packing at all though. Like <laughs> we're selling the products, but even on the blog or any of like the social media kind of side of things, there's just like no mention of it. So I've been, I've been pushing for it. I've been sending emails to, uh, my higher ups trying to figure out how we can get in there, uh, especially in the area. Cause it's so easy to like have a bike packing photo shoot or a bike packing one Oh one, uh, even within the store itself in Kelowna. And I think, I think that could work. It's just a matter of time and probably that'll be more of a spring 2017, uh, plan, but yeah, they're, they're, they're starting on bike packing, but the, uh, same kind of commitment to bike packing isn't there. Um, even even comparing it to like some of the other stores, bike shops, like local bike shops in the area that are selling um, like this new specialized bike packing bags and some of the some of the Blackburn ones as well are in there. They're, they're like no one's really pushing it from a media slash marketing standpoint. Um, and I, I, I don't really know why yet. Yeah, I, I think uh, I, I would be very surprised if that doesn't change pretty soon because you know it's the difference of like uh, a section devoted totally to road bikes and you have a you know you have the bike you have a pump you have um you know tire uh levers and 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 some bags and things like that but when you think of it from a bike packing perspective you know you you now have this niche that sells you know uh caters to to everything in your store uh camping uh, you know, iodine tablets, uh, you know, there's quite a bit more crossover. Um, I think we could probably all agree. So yeah, uh, keep me posted on, on, on what happens there. And if you do talks and, uh, get some ambassador type opportunities going, um, I think that'd be great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and what you mentioned, I want to jump in there on like how everything crosses over. Like I couldn't agree more on that because Mountain Equipment Co-op sells, some pretty like high end camping gear, like the Western mountaineering sleeping bags is like a huge one and some pretty lightweight tents and all the MSR stuff and like titanium camp gear, um, which is all like totally bike packing friendly in my opinion. Um, so even putting on like a, a bike packing display would be incredibly easy or a bike packing product list that all the stuff that we sell, like you could make a pretty sweet bike packing rig. If you were only shopping at MEC, um, you just have to get creative. Awesome. Well, let's uh, let's go on a different tangent here and talk about uh, the Cocapelli uh, Trail. Tell us about that adventure. Yeah. So um, 
I was in a two-year guide training program at Algonquin College, and uh, that was Cam Dubay, who's one of my lead instructors. And uh, at the end of the program, you pretty much have <laughs> you have the ability to plan um, and execute an uh, expedition pretty much between five and ten days in length anywhere anywhere in the world. Um, so pretty much from the get-go, I was I knew I wanted to do something bike-related, and I kind of tossed the idea around of doing a, a cycle tour somewhere, like maybe even Spain, um, kind of road riding stuff. And then I was talking to... Cam Dubay and uh, Ben Chillington, who are like the two big bike packers in the Ottawa Valley right now. And, uh, and they kind of pushing me to, to do some bike packing stuff. So after some more discussion with them, they, they convinced me because I don't think they would have let me do anything else. And, uh, and so then I pretty much had to find a route. And just again, that came from uh, bikepacking.com on Logan's website. We found a pretty solid write up of the Cocapelli Trail which looked like we were still going to push some boundaries in terms of like what other college students were doing, but we definitely, it was a very attainable goal. Um, in our opinion, it just looked like something that was going to challenge us enough, but also be safe enough, which is pretty important for like the college standpoint, because we are students after all. And, uh, so then I had to find, um, enough cyclists that were interested in doing that with me. And we ended up piecing together a, a rock star team of, of college students we had like a paddler a camper um, a dude that was pretty interested in video and photography and uh, some diehard cyclists as well so it was, it was five of us in the end that we uh, we flew out to uh, Utah and then uh, yeah we we've had an epic journey for sure it was huge just like flights canceled from day one when we were supposed to leave uh, the Ottawa Valley so we had to reschedule flights, ended up getting there on time, uh, had to rent a, rent a car and drive through like the biggest snowstorm of our lives through the, through the mountains. <laughs> and then uh, we ended up renting all of our bikes while we got there. Um, the whole group, I think the biggest thing is that the whole group did like a DIY approach for packing our bags. So I ended up at that time I had Revelate Designs bag, so I was using that stuff. But um we ended up just sewing. Actually, this was our first taste of sewing back in the Ottawa Valley. We uh, just got nylon straps and sewed buckles to them. So we had some like cam lock buckles and some uh, tri cams and cinched together dry bags and buckles until we had kind of a rig that made sense. And then that's how everyone packed their gear for the entire Cocapelli. And, and we weren't packing very light because a lot of us didn't have kind of like that specialized lightweight gear that most people are using nowadays. Um, so, <laughs> so dry bags and straps work pretty well, to be honest. Um, and, uh, yeah, it, it kicked our ass for sure. The, the whole trip was just a lot of hike bikes, a lot of like really technical single track that I don't think we, we didn't expect it to be as hard as it was. Um, and it was, it was just like very difficult as a group standpoint too. Cause this was like, we were all between 20 and 24 years old and <laughs> embarking on this pretty epic journey that um, previous Algonquin College groups in the past didn't didn't succeed at. So we knew we had some sh shoes to fill and we we pretty much we all agreed that we were going to do whatever it takes to get it done um, as a group, which was going to be going to be sweet for the college. And just I think sweet for bikepacking in general, because the younger crowd 
is kind of like a less documented crowd. It's usually these uh, these diehard cyclists like Greg from the last podcast who've been doing this their entire lives. And uh, we kind of popped in there <laughs> with uh, our nylon straps and dry bags and made it happen, which was uh, which was pretty sweet. It was a good feeling. Cool. So tell us a little bit about the route. Where does it start? Where does it end? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So you start in Fruta, uh, and you, you've you got a little bit of road riding, and that kind of links up finally with the official trailhead, and the, the actual trail itself ends in just outside of Moab, I guess. Um, and you're cutting kind of right across Fruta all the way to Moab. Uh, the first, first half day, we did it in four days, I believe, and the first half day was all really techie, rocky single track which was already a shock for us coming from Ontario. We're used to like Rudy, <laughs> Rudy kind of single track, but not this, these huge boulders um, and little rock drops that took us off guard. But um, so that's kind of where our, our full suspension bikes really, really helped us out for sure. Um, and then it quickly turns into a double track, still pretty rough, um, rocky double track for the, for the entire trip. A lot of elevation. We were like, pushing our bikes for, I don't know, you could say like quarter days at a time, just hours after hours of pushing our bike uphill because it was just as easy to push our bikes as it was to ride it. Um, water was a huge issue. So the time we were going, we went a little bit earlier in the fall. So then we were really hoping that water was still going to be there in places that people said it was like streams and stuff. Um, but for the most part, it wasn't, it was dried up pretty quickly. It gets hot. It gets hot out there in Moab apparently. Um, and we weren't accustomed to that kind of weather. And that's partly why some of the other, the other Algonquin college groups who have tried the Coke Valley have failed because they were running out of water, like on day one. So we made it a huge deal to pack as much water as we could. I think each person carried around six liters of water um, everyone had like a hydration bag in their backpack and pretty much two to three water bottles on them at a time. And I think we had a spare, um, dromedary bag with like group water for the night. Um, but yeah, our packing worked out well for that. Um, and we didn't, and didn't run out of water at all until about like day three. And, uh, we ended up having to get some water from a pretty questionable stream, which now looking back on it, I'm pretty sure that was in like the Cocapelli guidebook that said, don't take it from this stream because it's farm runoff. And, uh, <laughs> I think they were accurate with that because a couple of days later we were all paying the price. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was, it was, it was a sweet trip. It's just like, there's so much, so much variation in the terrain. You're going through all these different like ecosystems and like the geography is changes changing constantly. Um, like you're seeing huge snow capped mountains mixed with just like desert like terrains and pretty much nobody's out there. We went at a good time where there weren't many ATVers or dirt bikers that are out there, which is like a huge thing in that area. Um, so it was pretty much just us, us in the Cocapelli and, uh, and even just in town, you could like, there was, it's way more hyped up <laughs> bike packing than it is around here. Like, when I bike, when I did like the Colt, for example, when I was biking around, people would just look at me funny and think I was just like, I don't know, some sort of tourist. But out there, people would be like waving and saying uh, like, good luck. Oh, you guys are riding the Cocapelli. So it was, it was pretty obvious that there was like, I don't know, it was more, more commercialized in a way, like a little bit more hyped up than it is in Ontario. And, uh, and I think that helped us kind of get through it because there were definitely some struggle points. 
uh, along the trail and some some sections where we might have had to turn off our, our spot trackers so our teachers back home didn't know we were pushing our bikes throughout the night. And uh, <laughs> yeah, but uh, no, it was solid. It was, I'm super happy that uh, Cam Dubay pushed us to do that. And they like, our instructors back from the Algonquin College program, like huge support from them. Uh, just like so many questions that we need answers for and they helped us out. Um, yeah, and we, we ended up doing it. So we were the first group to complete the Cocapelli Trail with the Algonquin College Outdoor Adventure Program, which was, uh, which was pretty, pretty sweet. <laughs> nice. So you've, you've, you've broken new ground as far as, uh, you know, adventures for the school and, uh, broken new ground on the entrepreneur front and you're, you're in the, the pipeline on the industry side with Mac. Uh, you know, it seems like you're, you're, you're pretty plugged in and you're motivated and, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm curious as an observer, like what, what's on, what's on tap for miles in 2017? What are the, what are the big goals? <laughs> well, uh, yeah, that's a good question. I've, uh, well, like I mentioned earlier, it's kind of like that reporting side of things. Um, I want to try and get into if I can get con- some support from other companies potentially, um, to kind of document some of those rides that are, um, less documented, <laughs> um, and then, so I'm not too sure if I was questioning the fact of like kind of getting more into like the race scene, the endurance riding, because I just know I have a lot of good mentors that I could talk to about that um, to kind of push me in the right direction. Um, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I don't have a really good answer for that. I really, I'm going to ride the BC Epic 1000 for sure um, with the Grand Depart, because that's kind of going to be my first um long, I guess, long distance ride with like a group of other people, which would be pretty, I think it's going to be sweet for me and just sweet from the reporting standpoint. And, uh, leading up to that, I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do. I've, uh, I've contemplated the fat fact about getting into like more of the winter, winter bike packing scene. Um, but I just actually sold like all my winter camping gear from, <laughs> from the outdoor adventure program. Cause, uh, little side story but during that program you have to camp two days a week outside like all year round so I got my fair share of winter camping and uh, back in Ontario but now that I'm in BC the and especially Kelowna the winters aren't like Ontario winters so I'm told so uh, maybe uh, I don't know maybe I'll get back into that 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 scene as well but it's all a lot of it's based on gear unfortunately which is like something that you have to take into consideration for sure like I'm riding a plus size Surly Krampus, so it's burly, most definitely with plus size tires, but and a big steel frame. But it's not always the ideal bike for long distance um, race style routes. So trying to find I don't know the middle ground to get the most bang for my buck <laughs> during the riding season is uh, is kind of one of my biggest goals right now. So I've been looking a little bit more at the uh, kind of like bike pack and gravel touring setups just for the longer distance stuff where I don't need the volume of, uh, of three inch tires. Um, but yeah, cause that'll open up a little bit different riding conditions for me, which I pretty much just want to keep on pushing myself to try new things. And, uh, and that's, uh, kind of like the one Avenue I haven't explored yet. Well, I, I was just thinking on the reporting front, yeah, if 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 the events or the races are, are are coming more onto your radar, and especially the BC Epic, which is you know a bit longer than uh, any of the other ones out there, at least in the the West right now, 
uh, from the reporting side, it's fun. So if you go out too hard and you find yourself fading towards the middle, um, your excuse can always be, well, I, this is my job. I got to report. And this is where the stories are. Right. Yeah, exactly. And that's like, that's a huge, <laughs> yeah. Cause I was thinking, I was like, Oh, I should just, I should just race it. Like I'll just sign up for the grand apart and race it. And I was like, Oh, but like, what's, what's my motive. Um, and then I was thinking from the reporting standpoint, I'm like, well, if I'm getting funding like and or sponsorship from people that are also committed to, to the industry and the event, then <laughs> I can't, I can't stop biking. Um, which I think makes for a, makes for a good story in itself. And that, that's, that's like a huge reason why the uh, Central Ontario Loop Trail turned out so well because I was, I really wanted to get Ontario on the map. Like that was my goal of the summer. And, uh, and <laughs> so I knew I wouldn't stop. And even, even riding it alone, which was like the first time, that was a first for me as well. Um, but it paid off. Like, and it just shows that, I don't know if you're contributing, contributing to the major picture of things, the big picture, then, uh, and I think you can do a little bit more than you think. And especially like I'm, I'm definitely not a seasoned, uh, not even a seasoned cyclist, I would say. Like, I only started mountain biking seriously within the past, like, three years. Um, before that, I was a road rider. And, uh, yeah, so this is, like, all pretty new to me. But I've, I've, <laughs> I've dove in head first, and I think it's paying off. Cool. Well, that, that, that's a good tangent to uh, an obvious last question. And my question to you is, is what is, what is bike packing to you? What's, what's special about it? And uh, what are your hopes uh, for the scene as it grows? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So bike packing to me is just self-supported off-road um, mountain biking. As long as you're carrying some of the gear that's going to allow you to cook or camp comfortably um, and you're doing it, you can even, you can consider just a day trip bike packing in my opinion. Um, but preferably an overnighter at least. And, uh, and just going places where you can't go on a regular bike. I think that's the main, the main purpose, like panniers and, uh, and cycle touring kind of setups just won't work where, uh, where bike packers will go. And, uh, I think it always helps to have a little bit of hike a bike in there too, because that's, that's really showing you, uh, <laughs> Sometimes you start to question why the heck you're out there with a bike in the first place. Um, and then just like the future of bike packing, I hope it gets, I hope the, the bag builders stay where they are pretty much. Um, I don't want it to get like too commercialized, like the retail front of things, because I think that's kind of going to change it. But uh, from another standpoint, I think it'll be good for the industry for like even like vendors like MEC to get into the scene a little bit more just to get people starting out um, with bike packing. Cause I think, I think there'll always be room for those niche bag builders to be like filling the gap for the experienced bike packers that are looking for like the best quality gear. Um, and then the bigger brands like MEC and uh, some like the bike brands that are making bags to kind of come in for the more commercial um, scene. So yeah, I don't know. I'm stoked. I think, I think bike packing is definitely getting more popular. Um, I think tourism associations are jumping on board a little bit more often. I know they did in Ontario for me. Um, they were all about it, and they're still kind of. I think I kind of paved the way for the Ontario scene a little bit. If I'm not sounding too cocky, and uh, yeah, I don't know. I expect good things, and I'm <laughs> I'm hoping that I'm kind of weaseling my way right into the the front of those things being kind of like a young, a young educated lad, uh, 
but uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm stoked. <laughs> cool. Well, I, I th- it seems like you're doing all the right things, Miles, and uh, uh, it's great to chat with you and excited to see where things go. And um, you know, more importantly, I think hopefully some some ways we can collaborate uh, moving forward. So thank you again for uh, being on today. Oh, thanks for having me, Ryan. And just like Greg said in the last one, like you're doing a huge thing here for uh, the Canadian scene. So it's uh, it's sweet to see how you're evolving as well, because um, I think that's pretty integral for the development of the industry. Thank you very much, sir. Have a good one. Yeah, you too. Okay, bye now.